So I'll begin tonight with a bit of a confession. You've heard it before. Um, maybe Willie would be the only one that hasn't heard it before. You know, I made a promise to the church when I first started 16 years ago. I would never ask you for money, and I never have asked you for money. I never will ask you for money. But what I will do is preach what God has to say about money. And this is another way in which we can tease out Psalm 117. What does it mean to praise God? Obviously, one thing it means is we obey Him with our money. So, I'll start with a confession. Um, you know the phrase or the verse, I bet. Most people are familiar with it. Will a man rob God? Malachi 3.8. Will a man rob God? Yes, of course he will. And most do uh, every single day of their lives. It's just, it's what men do. Men are thankless, Romans chapter 1. They do not give thanks nor honor God who has not only created them, but given them everything, right? He's given them everything. Everything they have bodily, mentally, spiritually, and everything they have physically. I, I still remember the summer after I was converted, back in 1983. How many of you were alive in 1983? Just good. I, I, got a, I have a few contemporaries here. Um, I'd just been converted and I would work all day. I, I, I couldn't wait to get home. I would spend time with the family. Then I would go sit under my pecan tree in the backyard and I would just read massive swaths of God's word, right? I, I just couldn't get enough of God's word. And uh, I was sitting under that tree that uh, summer evening and I ran into Malachi 3.8. And immediately, I knew I was the man. I knew that I was a God robber. I, I knew it. I, I'd been in church all my life, but it had never meant anything to me. I, I, I didn't care about it. I did it because it was culturally acceptable. It's what my parents did. Dad was a deacon. Mom was a Sunday school teacher. And so I was a dutiful little boy going to church because it was culturally expected. And the family expected it. As well, but I hit Malachi 3:8, and there was deep conviction. <laughs> there was, there was deep convic conviction. I, I realized I was really only, or at least up, up until that time, a pretender. Of course, growing up in the church, I knew you're supposed to give money. Christians give money. It's what Christians do. And in the church I grew up in, they always pass the offering plate, right? Did did they do this in your church at home? The offering plate would always come down the pew. So there was no way to get away from it, right? So you, if you were going to appear to be proper um, and worshipful, I guess, then you had to put money in the offering plate. And I hated this because every Sunday before I got converted, here came, here came the offering plate. And I knew I had to put money in there and I resented it. I didn't want to put money in there. It was my money. I didn't even know if I believed in this God, although I'd been baptized. <laughs> I, I didn't, he didn't mean anything to me on a daily basis, right? And here comes the offering plate. 
And again, I resented it. It was my money. I wanted to spend it on Jim. You know, I was all about Jim. This is my money. I want to spend it the way I want to spend it. But here came the plate. So I would strategically always have a couple of ones in my billfold, and I'd pull out a couple of ones, and I'd fold them real nice and neat so nobody could tell how pathetic my offering was. And I would give the Lord one or two dollars. And um, I mean, which is really kind of, at least for me at that point in my life, this wouldn't be true universally, but for me, I made good money at that time. And, you know, to give Lord one or two dollars, it was like an insult. I mean, it's really worse than not giving him anything, in my opinion. It's just like an insult. And uh, so that was by my background with respect to giving. At my church, it was just simply peer pressure. It was always peer pressure. And so what I was engaged in was a rather reprehensible thing, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? I was just doing religion, right? I was just... I was just putting money in the plate because it was religious. It was proper. I wanted to be seen as someone who gave money to God, even though I didn't care about God. It was that reprehensible thing called religion. But all that changed in 83, right? Um, you guys know the verse, I bet. Jeremiah 24. God gave me a heart to know Him. I hope that's true of each one of you. God gave me a heart to know Him. He removed the heart of stone, put in the heart of flesh. Now I cared about God. Now I cared immensely what God had to say about everything. In fact, He was the only one that made any difference to me or mattered to me. And when you read, you're a God robber, it's a big deal. You know, it's a big deal. It was a big deal to me sitting under that pecan tree. Um, let me give you the whole, the whole phrase here, the whole verse, Malachi 3.8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? God says, in your tithes and in your offerings. I was not only a God robber, I was a premeditated God robber. I planned all week how to rob God, right? How can I rob God? Spend it on Jim. How can I rob God? Get more leverage, right? Get more in debt. Buy more things for the family. Buy a bigger house. Have a nicer car. Blah, blah, blah. I was a premeditated God robber. This didn't happen by accident. It happened because I planned it, right? I planned to have more stuff. God was not in the equation. He was not in the equation at all. The only thing in the equation was Jim wants more stuff. That was the only, that was the principal variable in the equation. When I read that I was a God robber, I had two immediate, two immediate emotions. One was overwhelming conviction. I knew I was guilty. I was like David and the prophet, right? You are the man. And I knew God's finger was coming right out at me. Right out of the scripture, you are the man. So my first emotion was conviction. My second emotion was fear. How could I ever do this? How could I ever be a radical giver? I was totally leveraged. You guys know what this means. I was totally in debt, completely leveraged. How could I ever do this? I don't think it's really possible to be a radical giver, at least in my situation, the situation I was in. But here's one reason I love the word of God. I don't know if you've turned to Malachi. But 
two verses later, there's liberation. Right? I'm a God robber. Malachi 3.8. I'm a God robber. What does it say in Malachi 3.10? Bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. And God says something he doesn't say anywhere else. And actually, I think we talked about this with, with the young adults a couple of weeks ago in one of our Zoom sessions. Test me now in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a, for you a blessing until it overflows. All right, let's put this in New Testament context. And I'll explain this in a few minutes, but we're not called to tithe in the, in the New Testament. That's not the call. That's Old Testament law. I'll talk about it in a minute. But we are called to be good stewards. We're called to be good stewards. Actually, because God is who He is, <laughs> He calls us past law, man. You, you don't have to stop at law. And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a few more minutes. But what I want to say is, the ultimate truth here in Malachi 3.8.10 is not that you're simply robbing God. Who are you really robbing? Who are you really robbing? Yourself. You're robbing your eternity. That's what you're robbing. It's not just that you're robbing God. That's bad enough. You're robbing yourself. You're robbing yourself. It's not that earthly wealth is bad. It's that you don't get to keep any of it. You don't get to keep any of it, right? This is one thing that the Bible teaches us. It's not that earthly wealth might be lost. It will all be lost. All of it will be lost. If you're the richest man in the world, you will lose it all the day you breathe your last. You will lose it all. You never see a hearse behind. You never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? You don't get to take any of it. And so as Randy Alcorn says, why not send it on, right? <laughs> why not send it on ahead? Why not be a good investor? Why not be bullish on the kingdom? Why not be bullish on the kingdom? It's not merely right to honor God. It's smart. Okay? It's not merely godly and right and scriptural and biblical. It's smart. So those who have ears to hear... You can listen tonight. Psalm 117. We're continuing to tease it out. And this is it. This is another one. It's legitimate. It's legitimate. The true believers to be fierce in their liberality, fierce in their giving, fierce in their generosity. Why can we be fierce in our generosity? Tell me. Why can we? Why can we? Anybody know? Because God is fierce in his generosity to you, right? Everything you have is from him. And if you have salvation tonight, that's from him. And we're to take on the family resemblance. We're to look like God when it comes to charity, when it comes to giving, when it comes to generosity. So we're in the seventh sermon of teasing out the implications of Psalm 117. I'll read it to you again. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples, for his loving kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. We've been talking about it. What does it mean to praise God? It's not just sitting in church singing songs. It has to be in the life, right? It has to be in the life. It's what we've been talking about. It's the best invitation you'll ever get. God says, come and praise me. What is he saying? Come and enjoy me. 
praise is the consummation of joy. This is why I'm teasing out Psalm 117. What, what does it mean to tease it out? To more fully examine, right? To more fully examine what it really means to praise God. That's what we've been doing for the last six or seven weeks. Yes, in worship, we are fierce in praise. In submission, we are fierce in obedience. In the face of cruelty and abuse, we are fierce in persecution. In believing and trusting God, we are fierce in expectation. And in living our lives, we uh, all are in the sanctification fight. We are fierce in Holiness, And I just want to say this because I love it so much. I shared it with somebody this week. I have a young man that I mentor and uh, I was sharing this with him this week. He had listened to the sermon and I, I just have to say it because I love it. It's, it's powerful. It's beautiful. It's meaningful. I hope it resonated with you. I'm coming off Philippians 2, 12, 13. We must work out what God has worked in. Okay. We talked about that last week. And here's the Piper quote. I don't, I don't want you to ever forget. Sanctification, right? God does it, but what? You must do it. And here's the Piper quote. God works the miracle of sanctification and you act the miracle of sanctification. He does it, but you must act it out, right? Piper continues. God produces it, you perform it. If you don't use your will to act the miracle, there is no miracle. God's sovereign enablement of holiness does not contradict your duty to act it out. Then he says this. Listen to this. This is a good, a good illustration. When God opens the eyes of the blind, who is it that must see? The blind. When he opens the ears of the deaf, who is it that must hear? The deaf. When God strengthens the lame, who is it that must walk? The lame must walk. This is sanctification. God means for you to be fierce in holiness. You have all you need to do it, but you must do it. God enables, but you must act it. You must act out sanctification in your life. It's what God expects. It's what he's empowered you to do. It's what he's commanded you to do. It's what you are to do. And as we talked about last week, kill the sin in your life. So tonight God calls us to not be God robbers. We are called to be radical givers, right? We are called to charity. We are called to worship. We are called to generosity. Just go read the Proverbs. Just go read the Proverbs. See how many times it talks about the generous, the generous man. We are called to honor and worship God with our giving. We are called to take on the family resemblance and become givers just like our father is a giver. The ultimate giver who does not withhold the blood of his son. So we are called to give and we are called to give huge. It needs to be a lifestyle, beloved. It needs to be a lifestyle. If I watch your life for the last 24 months, would I characterize you as a giver or not? If I, if I could look at your checkbook, I could look at your credit card statements, I could watch your cash flow, would I, would I be able to discern that, that, that you, you love God and you worship God with your finances? I mean, it's all in black and white, right? 
It's like, it's like John MacArthur says, it's all in black and white. It's right there in your checkbook, man. It's right there in your bank statement. Are you loving God with some portion of what He has loved you with, what He has given to you? You know, God says this. <clears throat> Read the Proverbs. He calls us out of stinginess, miserliness, and selfishness. And then He says, Oh, if you want to be blessed, give. Blessedness is in the giving, is what He says. So the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe God? Do you believe what God has to say about anything, right? Particularly this subject tonight. Do you believe what God says about giving? Or do you Simply want to believe what the world tells you about it. So let's just ask that question. Do you think God's telling you the truth that it's more blessed to give than to what? Receive? Do you believe God? Do you really believe God? Do you believe that there's more blessedness or happiness in giving? If you believe that, let me ask you this. It's a question the Holy Spirit put in front of me about six or eight years ago when I was preparing a sermon on giving. The question is, and those of you who've been around for a while will know what the question is. The Holy Spirit came to me and he said, Jim, why don't you give more? And I didn't have a good answer. I didn't have a good answer. Right? It wasn't because I couldn't. It, wasn't, it was because I wasn't particularly motivated to do it. It was like I didn't have any real interest in giving more. I didn't have any real interest in being blessed more. It's like I didn't really, at the end of the day, fully tease out, to use that word again, what it meant to honor God in our money. You know, here's what I found out. I've been doing this a long time. It's rarely about ability. It's always about desire. Givers. It's rarely about ability, almost never about ability, because, you know, the widow threw in her last two cents, right? Okay? If you've got two cents, you can make an offering. It's rarely about ability. It's always about desire. It's always about desire. It's like the Holy Spirit said, Jim, why don't you give more? And I had to be honest, I don't want to. Because I guess I'm, you know, I've been distracted with other things that are more important than, you know... Being a good steward. Here, here's what I want to say to you. I don't want you to ever forget this. You need, to, you need to analyze your giving at least three or four times a year. I say once a quarter. At least once a quarter. Take a look at it. Say, you know, where am I? Why am I doing this? Why am I not doing that? That's just personal advice. You can take it or leave it. Again, here's the deal, and you know it. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need it. But you need to learn how to give it. He doesn't need your money. You desperately need to learn how to give it. And I'll just give you this. How do you get started? If you, if you haven't started, how do you do it? You prioritize this. You forecast it. You plan it. You budget it. And then you do it. It's like your sanctification. God gives you generosity and then He expects you to act it out. Have you received the Spirit of God? Do you have the third member of the Trinity in you? Then He expects you to act it out. If you don't act it out, then you have every reason to question what's going on in your heart, right? You have every reason to question, well, 
Have I received the Holy Spirit? You have to decide, do you actually believe what, that God knows what he's talking about? Do you actually believe that there is more blessedness in giving than in receiving or keeping, right? More blessedness in this life and certainly in the next life. And here's what I want to say. I don't want you to ever forget this. If you've been around, you've already heard it. What is your giving about? Who is your giving about? Is it about you? It's not about you. It's all about God. Your giving is all about God. It's never not about God. It's the overarching biblical principle about money and giving. It can be summed up in one word, God. Your view of your money is a reflection of your view of God. Your priorities with your money, it's a reflection of your view of God. Your anxiety about financial security, it's a reflection of your view of God. Your practice in giving your money, it's a reflection of your view of God. John MacArthur, again, American preacher, the credibility of your Christianity is at stake in the way you handle your money. Bam, right? <laughs> it's Psalm 117, man. Praise God in your money. Praise God in your money. Make God look great in how you handle your money. Giving is not about ability, really. It's always about priority, and it's always about desire. It's not about how much money you have. It's about what's in your heart. It's always about that. So I'm going to go to, you guys know this text, 2 Corinthians 9, uh, 6 through 7. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. You can turn there if you like. 2 Corinthians 9. This is, this is our church's New Testament uh, guidance for giving. I'm not calling you to tithe. I'm calling you to forget the law. Yes, be a hilarious giver. If you're a hilarious giver, you don't, it's not about how much you calculate. It's not about calculate, calculation. It's not about calculators. It's not about percentages. Let me share with you from the text, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Really, that could, I could end right here, right? We all know what sounds better. Reaping bountifully is much better. Verse 7, let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Hey, if you give a tithe but you hate it, stop. You're not honoring God. You can't, you can't fool God. If you're giving money to God, but you resent it, stop. It's an insult to him. It's a stench in his nostrils. Just stop. You may look religious, but he hates it. He hates it. God loves a cheerful giver, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So you decide, do you want to you reap bountifully or sparingly? It's like God says, you decide what you want. Don't you love it? God says, you decide who you want to be. God gives us the standard. He gives us the call. He gives us the, 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 the enablement, the power, really, 
to, as Christians to emulate the, the generosity that flows through us as the Holy Spirit is in us. But he says, hey, you do what you want. You, you do what you want. And it's true, isn't it? And I love to say this to people when I counsel them. You're going to do exactly what you want to do. At the end of the day, you will do what you want to do. You will do what's most precious to you. You will seek and pursue that which is most precious to you. I mean, you can say a lot of things, but at the end of the day, I'll just watch your life. I'll just watch your life. I don't care what you say, I'm going to watch your life. It's just that way, beloved. It's always that way. So the Greek here, the word is hilarious. Be a hilarious giver. God only wants those happy checks. You know, those happy uh, wires and those, th those happy bills. That's all he wants. He doesn't want anything else from you. He doesn't need anything from you. He wants people who love him to honor him in some portion of what he has given to them. God says, you decide about me. You decide about money. You decide. It's your call. I like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase here, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Listen to it. He says, he says remember, of course, this is like, yeah, obvious. A stingy planter gets what? What do, you, what do you think a stingy planter gets? A stingy what? Crop. It's just natural law. It's also spiritual law, Right? A stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets, oh, guess what? A lavish crop. God says, you decide which one you want. You decide. So just a brief commentary on the tithe. Um, the tithe is Old Testament law. It's not taught in the New Testament. It's only mentioned two times in the New Testament. Um, Jesus is condemning the Pharisees for their legalism in the tithe. Matthew 23, Luke 18. And then in Hebrews 7... Uh, is the, uh, the account there about um, the Levitical priesthood and Melchizedek. It, it's not even in the context of giving. It's talking about the priesthood. And I, I meet Christians all the time. You know, they, they say, well, I, I believe in tithing. I say, okay, okay, you believe in tithing? Go ahead and tithe. But are, are, you, are you saying that you believe in Old Testament tithing? And they say, yeah, I believe in Old Testament tithing. Well, how many tithes did the Old Testament Jew give? Anybody know? Wasn't one. It was 2.3 tithes, 23%. So if you want to be a law keeper, that's your, that's your baseline. If you want to be a law keeper, that's your baseline right there, 23%. I'm telling you, we're not to be law keepers. We don't give under law. We don't give under compulsion. We give because we can't help but give. We give because we want to give. We give because you can't stop me from giving to my God, right? That's why Christians give. That's why we don't pass the offering plate. Hey, if you don't want to give here, don't. I don't want you to. <laughs> right? I don't want you to. I don't want you to do that. So God has invited the New Testament Christian out of law and into happy giving. Jesus says what? Sell all that you have. And give. What is he? Is he? Is that a? 
Is that a refutation of uh, personal property? No. What is Jesus saying? Live simply, give huge. It's, it's contrary to the American dream or the Nigerian dream and the Honduran dream and the Italian dream and don't tell me I know the South African dream. It's contrary to all of that, right? Live simply, give huge. That's what Jesus is saying in Luke 12. Don't leverage yourself up. That's what the world says. Leverage yourself out and up. Go into debt to have all the things that the world says will make you happy that never make you happy. And of course, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, what I want for my people is an unfailing treasure in heaven that never fades away. You're going to lose the Mercedes, man. You're going to lose it. You're going to lose the house on the lake. You're going to lose that nice wardrobe. You don't get to keep any of it. <laughs> but Jesus says, I want you to have an unfailing treasure in heaven that never fades away. I just think, I just think God's way is better here. You decide. You decide what you want to do. It's between you and God. It's not between you and me. It, it, it is between you and God. So regarding the tithe, hey, if you want to tithe, that's fine. If you, if you believe that, if that's your conviction, then you should follow your conviction. But I'd like for you to entertain my words on this and entertain the heart of this message. Beloved, you, 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 we are so free in this area. It's, it's very conceivable you'll blow right past the tithe, right? You'll just blow right past it. If you, if you take into account all of God's promises... And all that he says in his word, um, I think if we're thinking deeply about it, we can blow right past the tenth. But it's your business. It's your business between you and God. So in our, in our, last, in our few remaining minutes, I'm going to give you four examples from, from the Bible. Four examples from the Bible, okay? Four examples from the Bible. Two in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament. I love these. You've heard me use them before, but I love these. One in particular. I love beyond expression. Okay, but I want you to, as I, as I talk to you about this, I want you to think, I want you to note two things. What is this about and what is this not about? Okay, as I, as I share these examples with you, I want you to be thinking, what is this about and what is this not about? Okay? You don't need to turn there. I'll send you my notes. If you ask for them, drop me in line in, if you want the notes. Because I'm going to hit these passages pretty quick. First one, Exodus 25, 2, God tells Moses, raise a contribution for the tabernacle, right? You get over to Exodus 30, 35, 4, and 5. Moses says to the people, whoever's willing, this is what I'm preaching tonight, whoever's willing, I'm not going to beat you with a stick and say, you got to tithe to the church, man. You're a loser if you don't tithe. And I'm going to beat you with, you know, that metaphorical club upside the head. Listen, man, if you don't want to give, don't give. But he says, Moses says, who's ever willing, let him bring a contribution to God. Don't you love that? 
Exodus 35, 21. And everyone whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was moved, they brought a contribution. Here's what real giving is. A stirred heart and a moved spirit. It's Psalm 117. It's praising God from the depth of your soul. It's not about the law. It's not about I'm a religious man, watch me give. Again, which is a stench in the nostrils of God. And you guys know what happened, right? <laughs> you guys, you know what happened? At the end of chapters 35 and 36 of Exodus, the people had to be restrained from giving anymore. Moses had to say, stop. Stop bringing in. We have too much. This is, this is biblical giving. Okay, so what was that example? What was it not? It was what? It wasn't what? Law. What was it? Desire. It wasn't law. There was no law for them to bring in. What were the people? They were willing and they were stirred. This is how true Christians give. We are willing and we are stirred. We cannot not give. You know, since we don't pass the plate all through 16 years... People would come to me, nine, over 900 people have come through this church, and people would come to me and say, Jim, how do we give? The giver always figures it out, right? You can't stop the giver. The giver always figures it out. Second example, you know, you know who wrote these words. Psalm 63, 1 and 3. God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My, my flesh yearns for you. Your loving kindness is better than life. So it's only natural that the man who wrote those words of heartfelt worship would say these words. First Chronicles 29. King David says, With all of my ability I have provided for the house of God. And moreover, in my delight in the house of my God, the treasure I have of gold and silver I give to the house of my God. It's Psalm 117. It's how a man praises God in his finances. The heart that seeks God and thirsts for God and yearns for God is a man or woman who is open-handed with God. The heart that extols God and blesses God and praises God and loves God is a man who brings his offering to God. And David, as the leader, the people followed. 1 Chronicles 29.9, the people offered willingly, making their offerings with a, I love this, a whole heart. Okay, what is this about? Is it about law? It has nothing to do with law. What's it about? It's about, I, I got to bring a worthy offering to God. I got to, I have to, I need to, I want to. It matters to me. It matters to me. Here's another example. I think we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. Luke 19. You remember the little guy who went up the sycamore tree? The guy who went up the tree was loving his money. The guy that came back down the tree has started to love Christ. And Zacchaeus gladly received the Lord. And he said, Lord, half of my possessions I give immediately away. 
to the poor. And I, if I have defrauded anyone, I give back four times as much. Now, the legal penalty for fraud, which he was guilty of, was a 20% penalty. Zacchaeus says, I give four times back. Plus, I'm giving half of my stuff away. Immediately. He just met Christ and immediately, it wasn't law. It was desire. I have a great Savior and I'll bring a worthy offering. He didn't love his money anymore. He was bullish on Jesus, right? He was bullish. And this is the fourth example. My favorite one, I think. Mark 14. You remember Mary. And Jesus is sitting across the table from her. I think they're at Simon's house and they're having a meal. And she can't stand it. She's got, she's got to leave. She gets up and she goes down the street, down to her house. She goes into her bedroom. She opens uh, the, her drawer there and she gets the most valuable thing she has. It's, it's costly perfume. And she runs back up to Simon's house. And she, she looks at him again and she says, yeah, in her, in her mind, she, she, this is, it's worth it. It's, it, it. I wish it was more. It should be more. He's God. He's, he's my Messiah. He's Savior. It should be more. I wish I had more. And I don't have any doubt, and this is Jim Albright's interpretation, I don't have any doubt that their eyes met. And with, their, with his eyes, Jesus said, do all that's in your heart, my sister. And she broke the vial, 15,000 euros, okay, to bring it up into uh, common parlance, 15,000 euros. And Jesus hated it. He said, you should be more wise with what you own. Now, wait a minute. Wait. Jesus what? He loved it. He loved it. You remember what he said? Tell me what he said. You tell me what he said. What did he say? I can't hear you. Nobody will ever forget this. Wherever the gospel is preached... Nobody will ever forget what she did. And, and there's a great lesson here, beloved. He would be gone in a couple of days. He would be gone. She did it while she had opportunity. And the same thing is true for you and me. Right? We don't get a second chance. You got one opportunity to be generous. She had one opportunity to anoint God. There he was, sitting in, at the table, <laughs> you know, her Savior. <laughs> what would you have done? You'd have probably done the same thing. You probably would not have been able to hold back the inclination to honor him and to love him. And the thing I love about that story has nothing to do with my sermon, is that he smelt like a king all the way through the week. As he's being, you know, falsely accused, beaten, arrested, scourged, crucified. He smelt like a king because that's what he was. So what was this about? What was this thing about with Mary? What was it about? Law? No. Was it about compulsion? No. You know, what was it? Was it about duty? No. It was about I love this God so much I can't stop myself. 
That's what it was about. I love that account. So, as I close out, I want to say this. I know that a sermon like this can stir up possible feelings of guilt. This is not about guilt. If guilt is the best you can do, then you haven't understood anything I've said. This is not about guilt. I don't want you to give out of guilt. If the church goes out of business, if the, if the door gets locked, you know, I'd rather that happen than you give out of guilt. Don't do it. Don't give out of guilt. Beloved, it must come from the heart. It must be cheerful. It must be hilarious. That's the only way that door has stayed open for 16 years is we've had hilarious givers come through here. That's the only reason that door's still open. Because God sent us some hilarious givers. So back in 1983, God taught me that I was a God robber and He graciously brought me out of my sin. And um, the thing I learned, and I can tell, tell you as a testimony, from confession to testimony, that I was the one that lost in robbing God. God didn't, God didn't lose. I was the one that lost. I was robbing my eternity prior to my repentance. And what I've learned is, is that you can't afford not to give to God. Because, again, He doesn't lose anything. You lose everything. You lose in the equation. God's calculus, it's all built on generosity. And if you can't find generosity in your heart, then I, you have a much more serious problem than whether you tithe or not. If you can't find generosity in your heart, you have one serious problem before God, and you must go home and get it sorted out as quickly as possible, right? The question is not whether I tithe or not. The question is, do I love God enough to bring Him the first of my produce? And as John Piper says, you decide how much you want to give. Again, we're not talking about law. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Beloved, God is a promise keeper. God knows what he's talking about. You either believe that or you do not believe that. Your giving is a, is a perfect reflection of your view of God, period. It's nothing less than that. Don't think it's anything less than that. It's a, it's, it's a blatant and blunt confession of how you see and love God. It comes down to everything else, like everything else in the Christian's life. It comes down to love and faith. It's love and faith. 
Do you love him enough to become systematic and sacrificial in your giving? Do you, do you trust him enough to become systematic and sacrificial in your giving? So I'll leave you with this question. It's the question that God always asks me when I preach on giving. Why don't you give more? You don't want to be blessed? You don't want to be blessed of God? And I'm not preaching, I'm not preaching, you know, prosperity gospel. I'm not preaching that. I abominate that. I hate that. The men who preach that will go to hell. It's a false gospel. Let them be accursed, the Apostle Paul says. I'm not preaching that. But I am preaching the Word of God. And God says, you decide. A couple comments and I'm done. One nanosecond after you die, you will know exactly how you should have lived. You will know for sure what kind of steward you should have been. And here's the thing. God tells us right now today what kind of steward we ought to be. God says New Testament giving is all free will giving. God says, you decide about me, you decide about your money, and you decide about giving. It's in, the ball's in your court. We've heard what God has to say about it. Lastly, God doesn't need your money, but you and I need to learn how to give it. Jesus says, and I'm done, give and it will be given to you. This is a great verse. They will pour into your lap a good measure. <laughs> Can you imagine what God means when he says good measure? What does a good measure mean to God? Can you imagine what a good measure must mean to an infinite God? He says, I'll give you a good measure. He goes on. It'll be pressed down. It'll be shaken together. It'll be running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you. So I exhort you, beloved. I exhort you from, as an old man, converted in 83, you do the math. Okay? That's how long I've been a Christian. 37 years, everything God says is true. I can tell you firsthand experience, and I can tell you from the experience of many, many, many men I know who have walked with God this way. But here's, here's the thing, right? <laughs> God says, you decide. It's always this way. You decide. You decide how you want to live your life. You decide what... You decide what, you, what your stewardship before God in the next life looks like. When, when you give that account, you decide. Don't you love it? That the Lord treats us like adults. And He says, you decide. Let's pray together.